Do locks slow down your code? So by the end of this episode, I hope to give an engineer's perspective on the time trade-off of locks. My name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So this is an important topic because uh, locks are one way, an important way, to achieve concurrency. That means uh, sharing of resources between different threads. And so we need to understand their trade-offs. So this this idea, this this discussion topic, um, was something that was brought up uh, by someone I was having a phone conversation with, um, and I was talking about how you know locks are are an important concurrency mechanism, and he brought up yeah, but they slow down your code, and it's it was. It struck me as funny uh, to bring that up because I've I, I did learn that in school. I remember specifically in class when we learned about locks at university and what uh, th- that that was a, a primary thing that was of concern. That like remember these are going to slow down your code. And I don't know why people talk about that because after years of actually building systems using locks and other concurrency primitives, it is just so clear how much more important correctness is than that kind of speed. Um, It might be an old-fashioned idea because... Uh, maybe they weren't so fast, computers weren't as fast back then, and maybe locks were considered pretty expensive. And so that, you know, university classes often uh, lag behind the technology a little bit. And so this is, the professors are just teaching what they learned in school. And this person is older than I am, so he probably learned it even before, um, you know, his professors were even older. And so anyway, it just, it's, it's one of those things that I think we have to get over that there's no, there's nothing you want to trade off for correctness. I mean, if your program doesn't do what it's supposed to do, uh, then it doesn't matter how fast it is. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, it, it that that's why it struck me as funny and i just wanted to like bring that up and reemphasize it now that's not to say that they don't slow down your code they definitely do so there's a few things uh that we have to uh talk about with that um locks definitely are slower than letting your threads run without locks there's no question about that the problem is without locks or some other kind of concurrency primitive, you run the risk of what are called race conditions. And I have a whole episode on race conditions. And race conditions generally, you know, in, in a nutshell, mean your threads are not sharing nicely. They're, they're using the same, for example, they could be using the same variable, 
to store stuff in or the same mutable data structure and uh, they're reading and writing at the same time over each other. It's like you're trying to all color on the same paper at the same time and you're bumping into each other and you're like, hey, I wanted that to be blue. Now you just colored it red. And, you know, you need some kind of way to share. And I bring this, I, I use this simplistic example as kind of kid example because it's like learning to share as a kid. Like, it's my paper right now. I'm going to color it. When it's your turn, you can color it. Obviously, that's going to slow down the kids. They're going to have to wait. Um, but at least you get some kind of sense of order to, to the drawing, right? And in some sense, it's going to be more correct. Um, so there, there's one thing that you could do in this scenario to reduce that trade-off, reduce that cost of time, which is to reduce the amount of time you spend inside the lock, right? So one thing that we do in Clojure is because we're dealing with immutable data structures, you can actually calculate the value that you will store in the locked variable ahead of time, right? So this means, nor so normally what you would do if you wanted to like operate on some data structure, let's say it's a mutable data structure, but you wanna do it safely, you wanna do it correctly with multiple threads. So you would create a lock that all threads have to, they, they have to acquire the lock uh, before they can modify that data structure. Okay, so one thread is gonna have the lock at a time. So you, you try to get the lock. If, you, if it's already locked, you have to block. You're just gonna wait. If it's not locked, you get it, and now you can modify the data structure. When you're done modifying it, you release. Right, And so you might do 5, 10, 100 operations on that data structure. And the longer you go, you know, doing operations inside that lock, the more other threads you're going to have to wait. Okay. So what you want to do is reduce the amount of time that you spend inside that lock. So one thing that you could do is instead of doing 10 operations inside the lock, you could, for instance, make a copy of the data structure without getting a lock, right? Or maybe you get a lock just long enough to make the copy. Then you operate on that copy, okay? So it's, it's your copy, you can do whatever you want, you don't need the lock, it's not a shared resource. And then you grab the lock and swap out that data structure for the one that's in there. Because you have the lock, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to um, make modifications to it. Now, we do this in Clojure uh, because we have immutable data structures that have built-in copy-on-write semantics. So we don't even think about the copy, but we are making a copy. Um, and we can also guarantee that nothing else is modifying it while we're reading it, right? Once you have a pointer to it, you know it's an immutable thing. Um, 
So we have this built into the language. It's one of the things that makes closure really nice. Now here's the thing. When you get that lock, you have to make sure that it hasn't changed since you read it, right? So you made this copy. You had to read the, the, the data structure to make the copy. Has the data structure changed in another thread since you read it? So this is what's called compare and swap. Uh, you have to, so you, you make this copy, you modify it, and then when you grab the lock, you have to check, hey, has it changed since, since I read it last? You know, has some other thread changed it? If it has, you got to start over. You're like, okay, I'll read it again, make a new copy, uh, and make modifications to this new thing. If it hasn't changed, you can just set it right away, right? But what this does is it lets you have a much smaller window of locked code, right? A much smaller mutual exclusion section. That's and it's another word. Mutual exclusion and lock are pretty much the same. Um, but it, it it just makes sure that you are uh, spending much less time in that locked state. Now, there's another trade-off here, which is that you're going to be doing work on your threads. But this is instead of the threads simply blocking and not doing anything. So it's kind of um, it, it, it's kind of a trade-off that doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, except there will be a little bit more heat. You are, your threads are working, so they are taking up CPU that from potentially other threads working. So th there, there is some trade-off there. Um, I also want to talk about how um, locks are kind of error-prone. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities there for, say, forgetting to acquire the lock before operating on it before operating on this like shared resource. Uh, there's stuff like how do you make sure that you release the lock when you're done? Uh, you could forget to do that. If you've got multiple locks, you've got to lock them in the same order in every single thread. It becomes actually a pretty hard challenge uh, and a lot of bugs in, it's one of the reasons why even with locks, People think multi-threaded code is very difficult. It's because you've got uh, these challenges now with like reasoning about uh, if I have this lock, what can I do? Uh, I need two locks. How do I, what order should I get them in? It's it's actually a pretty hard thing to reason about once you've got a real sizable system. Um, so in closure, we don't generally use locks themselves. We use primitives that are uh, often built on top of locks. So the locking has been solved once and for all, and we can think at a higher level. So we have something called an atom. It's probably the most commonly used uh, closure concurrency primitive, and it does that compare and swap. It's built on a Java class called, I think the class is called atomic compare and swap. Um, and all it does is stores a single immutable value and gives you uh, an interface for um, modifying that value with retries if something else has modified it while you are modifying it, right? So it's this, it's, it's probably got locks like down, I haven't looked at the Java implementation, but it's, it, um, 
probably has locks down at the bottom so that you can do this compare and swap, meaning has this has this value changed or has this pointer changed since I read it and made a copy? And uh, if it has, I'm going to retry. So it means I'm going to read it again and make a new thing. So all of this is done with like, you don't have to deal with the locks, right? It's a higher level of working. Um, other, uh, another common concurrency primitive is the queue. So instead of kind of racing to grab the lock and then whoever acquires the lock first gets to go first, you could put the work into a queue and have a single thread operating on that shared resource at a time. This is another way of sharing, right? It's, ta uh, it's taking turns where you line up. And this works a lot better when there's a lot more contention, when you know that, um, I mean, just imagine a crowd of people all trying to use the same, I, I like to think of it like kids, because they, you know, kids don't know the rules sometimes, or they break the rules. And so like, they're trying to share this toy, right? So a few kids can kind of work through the turn taking, like, well, whoever grabs it first, they get to play with it until they're done. And then they pass it on to the next person and then that person gets to play with it. And then, you know, somehow they manage. But once it gets to like 10, 20 kids, like some kid is going to be like, I haven't played with it in like an hour. You know, I'm please. Can I, and this whole like grabbing it, whoever gets it first, isn't going to work anymore. Okay. So now you have to line up right? You get in line, whoever's at the front of the line, you get to play with it as long as you want. And then when you're done, you want to play with it again, you got to go back at the end of the line, right? So it's, uh, it, it has a fairness to it that, um, uh, that, that you can ensure that things happen in a certain order and no one, no one goes without playing with the toy. So this cue is another is it changes the nature of the shared resource. That toy, yes, it's being shared, but only by one, one thread at a time, right? One thread runs that shared resource. And often the way it's implemented in software is uh, you have one thread that's called like the worker thread and its tasks get put into the queue that operate on that shared resource in the worker thread. So the by putting something into the queue you're you're given like a promise or a future that will have the result of your work being done so the thread can continue doing some other stuff and then when the when the worker thread is done it will put the value into the future and then the original thread can continue working on it so really only one thing is uh, is accessing that resource at a time. So you could say it's not sharing that resource anymore. It's only one thread using it. What becomes shared is the queue. So some, you know, you get smart people, they sit down, they, they harden this queue. They make sure it's, it works concurrently and there's all the locks are in place. And that queue becomes the shared resource because the threads are going to be adding tasks to that queue. Uh, and so that they're all adding them at the same time in parallel. And so they're sharing, you know, there's some discipline 
that's going on with the locks for how things get uh, put in in order. Um, okay, so I just wanted to go over these different ways of getting at a higher level than locks because locks are just very hard to reason about. Um, when we're doing concurrency, it's all about shared resources and locks are, you know, just imagine it's like, uh, you know, sharing a bathroom. If you have a couple of roommates, a, a little lock on the door of your bathroom can, can really help you share this bathroom safely, right? You know, you try to open the door. Oh, it's locked. I'll come back in a little bit and try again. Uh, someone must be in there. But if you had like 20 people sharing a bathroom with locks, like everyone's constantly knocking on the door. Uh, what if someone takes a long time in there? Like it, it becomes, um, it becomes a mess. It's not enough. So you need some other system like a queue, like put your name on the board. You know, when someone leaves the bathroom, they're going to call the person's name on the board and whoever that is can come. So you don't have to just wait and stand in line, but it's also got an order to it so that uh, things um, things work out. Uh, so recap. Um, locks do trade time for correctness, but correctness is something that you need. So it's not like you're going to say, oh, we'll just be wrong half the time but at least it's fast. Like you just never do that. Uh, what, but you do need to understand that once you go, you know, concurrent, meaning you have multiple threads sharing this resource, you are going to trade off a little time. It's, it, there's, um, there's no way around it. Um, just like if you're sharing a bathroom, there are going to be times when you need to use the bathroom, but someone's in it. So you're gonna have to wait. And that's just going to happen. Uh, however, there is an efficiency there because a lot of times the bathroom isn't being used. So why have a bathroom per person? It doesn't make sense. So it also lets you scale up faster. Um, because the bathroom isn't being used most of the time, you can add more people. And um, though there might be some bottleneck times, most of the time it will work out if you've got a good system. Uh, so it's, it's good for scaling. Um, the, the main thing you want to do with locks is reduce the amount of time inside the lock. That's, that's the main thing. If you can get people to go to the bathroom faster, um, you know, one thing, like for instance, you got your toilet in there and then after you use the toilet, you go to the sink, you wash your hands, then you dry your hands, then you open the door. You could say, well, we're going to move the sink outside of the bathroom doesn't need to be that private. So now we're doing less with a locked door, right? So people can be using this shared resource more effectively. We're doing less inside of the lock. Uh, I, and I also want to say, because locks are so error prone, they're the main reason why people think concurrent programming is, is difficult. Um, you should look into other primitives that are are probably built on top of locks, but have a better interface. Uh, they're less error prone, and they're they're actually I would say less abstract. They're more specific. Locks are basically a general purpose tool. Like, you know, just like in in your house, a lock is a general purpose way to keep a door closed from one side. Um, it what you want is something much more specific to like 
your bathroom and how to share a bathroom or how to share a kitchen or how to share etc right there when you get more specific you don't there's less you have to think about um there's less that you have to do as a programmer to make sure it works like less discipline you can encode the discipline in code uh, and so that's what these concurrency primitives do so i mentioned to compare and swap enclosure we call that an atom and uh cues uh so do yourself a favor um, go research some concurrency primitives in your language uh, if you happen to be into closure i have a big list of them for closure uh, just search for closure concurrency i'm in the top i'm not the number one right now but i'm up there in the top um uh the top rankings it's a purely functional.tv article uh, do me a favor, please. Uh, if you found this valuable, you should subscribe uh, because then you'll get the next valuable uh, episode that I'm doing. Uh, I also like to get into discussions with people. If you have a question, a comment, uh, disagreement, agreement, uh, I appreciate all of it. I read all of it. Um, email me at eric at lispcast.com. Uh, you can also... Uh, message me on Twitter, you know, just at mention me. I'm at Eric Normand with a D and I'm also getting into LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, Eric Normand with a D. Awesome. See you next time.